You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Today, I'm joined by special guest, Lisa Toby. Lisa is the executive director of Wildflower Consulting, a firm that partners with clients to design, facilitate, and evaluate policy, system, and environmental strategies that improve public health. You can learn more at wildflowerllc.org. During our podcast, Lisa shares about her life living with dissociative identity disorder, complex PTSD, the challenge of diagnosis, and her recovery using writing and wilderness as a means to help cope and heal, and also about starting a nonprofit for women who have survived violence. So for anyone who struggles with DID, or perhaps knows someone who lives with dissociative identity disorder or complex trauma, I'm sure you'll find Lisa's story very validating and encouraging as she shares so openly about her struggles and triumphs and ongoing healing journey, along with her memoir and other future plans. So let's jump right into my conversation with Lisa Toby. So, hey, Lisa, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? It's great to have you here with us today. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, You and I had connected through email when you had wanted to share your story here on the podcast and also in some blog posts, which I know are coming up in the future. But today we're going to talk about your diagnosis and the challenges that came with that, how writing has helped you, how storytelling has been a means of healing and all kinds of great stuff. So, If you're ready to go, we can jump right in and you can share a little bit about your diagnosis and the challenges that came with getting that. Great. Thanks so much for um, having me today and letting me chat a little bit. So um, I'm going to take you back some years because um, I'm actually 49 years old now and um, was diagnosed with disassociative identity disorder when I was 27. But that diagnosis took a long time. I was diagnosed with um, depression and major depression for many years. Folks were working with me, trying to keep me alive, if you will, because I was very suicidal. I started recovering memories of abuse, but I didn't know what they are. So for folks who are on, you know, listening to this, it's the PTSD, the beginning of PTSD, where you start to have flashbacks, where you start to get triggered. And at the time, I didn't have anywhere to place it. It just seemed, you know, crazy making in my head. I didn't understand what was going on. So I started seeing a counselor and uh, worked with a counselor for well over a year while I lived in Kentucky, still just diagnosed with depression. And then it took three years for folks to get the aha that there was this associative identity disorder going on in the background. And even at that, that came as a formal diagnosis through a hospitalization because I'd been suicidal. But um, my counselor, bless his heart, his name's Frank, the one who was working with me in North Carolina, moved to North Carolina for graduate school. And I was working with Frank, and he kind of felt like I had DID, but he didn't want to talk about it yet because he just wanted to see what was going to come. The other background noise at the time is just before I was diagnosed with DID, I spent a year, um, I had cancer. And so I spent a, had a cancer diagnosis. 
and then spent a year trying to deal with that. So there was all kinds of background noise going on with it. So that's a longer version of the short story of it. There are so many people who who struggle with getting the correct diagnosis. And you know, I had a podcast a couple of weeks ago with <clears throat> a good friend of mine who's an advocate and and writes for the Mighty, and she struggled for I believe it was twelve years. I think she said of you know different types of medications and different types of doctors and let's try this and what diagnosis is that until she finally came to you know um, a similar or you know to to the correct diagnosis. And so you know I can tell you know just by you sharing that it was such a struggle to, to kind of, you know, go through the depression and, and all of the years of being suicidal and then trying to figure out what the triggers and flashbacks were and, you know, well, Hey, maybe it's PTSD, but how does DID fit into this? And so just for anybody else that's listening, who's struggling with getting the correct diagnosis, it's, you, you are not alone. It's very uncommon. Um, I struggled with it a bit, although not as long as some, but I, I did struggle with getting the correct diagnosis. And, you know, as I said before, when I got my diagnosis um, of PTSD, I didn't even realize that I could even get PTSD. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's incredible. And it's really, it's almost a relief as much as it is kind of uh, scary or intimidating when you, when you get the diagnosis, because at least you can figure out exactly what it is and start to work on it, even if it isn't something that you really want to deal with, right? Yeah, I think this thing is interesting. So um it started, you know, this whole unfolding of P- PTSD and, and along with DID, which was in the background. I just didn't know it. It started when I was 24 and I was in Kentucky and I had this great counselor who was working with me and I was killing him because um, I was absolutely suicidal and I was bulimic and I was all these things. And he was trying really hard uh, to not name something for me, to not say, I think you have PTSD, I think you have a sexual abuse history, because it's all recovered memories for me. So he was trying really hard to go with the flow. At the same time, I was so, um, so much into the planning of, hey, what next? How do I get to that place where I've got a plan in place where I can, you know, commit suicide, that he didn't really know how to deal with me or read me. He did the best job he could without the diagnosis of DID, and he actually did a pretty fabulous job. But he, he, in his head, I had borderline personality disorder, so he was trying to deal with that. And also he was, you know, later on told me he was trying to deal with um, how he felt towards me. He actually kind of didn't like me, go figure, because <laughs> he felt like I was telling him one thing and doing the other. And in my head, I was just working really hard to try to figure out what was going on in the background. I just didn't get it. And I felt, you know, compelled to be bulimic. I felt compelled to, you know, do these other things. Things scared me. Um, it just, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And so he helped me start unfolding it um, with writing, actually. The way I figured out, started recovering memories was just start writing about some of the dreams I had. What a great segue into the next part of our conversation here and something I can definitely relate to. And that is using writing to help you in your, in your recovery. I mean, when I, I can remember sitting in a therapist's office, you know, for a long time and just being frustrated and, you know, yeah, I'm doing some good things and yeah, you know, I'm making some breakthroughs, but I would usually leave the uh, therapist's office uh, more frustrated than when I got there half the time. And uh, for me, a lot of it was that I would leave the office and then, you know, I wouldn't know what to do with myself because I wasn't writing at the time. 
you know, I, I didn't know much about self-care and I was just kind of, okay, well, I'm going to go see this therapist once or twice a week and we're going to talk about stuff and then I'm going to do the homework, but then what do I do for the rest of the time? And, you know, so I was kind of left to my own devices, so to speak. And then once I started writing, oh my God, it opened up like a world of healing for me. And I started journaling on my own privately. And then of course started my blog and, you know, things really took off from there, but maybe share a little bit about how writing has actually helped you, what you wrote about, who you shared it with. Oh yeah, that'd be great. I, um, my undergraduate is actually in creative writing, but as most folks who write might um, identify with, I stepped away from it. I felt like when I finished my undergraduate program, I just detached from it for a little while. So um, when I started becoming depressed again, and I had been depressed in college, so I knew what it was like and I knew what was coming and added the bulimia with it, actually. I started a writing program at, at University of Kentucky. Actually, they just let me take a writing class, which was amazing. So I sat down and started, I had things to write for. And so I started writing for those assignments that came up. And so it started serving, a, you know, two or three functions all at once, which in retrospect was really nice. I had a cue to do my assignments. It was tying me into these feelings. I didn't know what they were coming from. It let me kind of filter through some of what had happened in the past and what was happening right then. So one of my first big stories I actually wrote for that class was a suicide attempt I'd had in college. And my teacher, he was really good at what he did. He was teaching me writing, not teaching me to overcome, you know, being depressed, which I appreciate because some teachers teach to the depression and not to the writing. But he also connected with me on that other level. So I kept writing that story, at least even though that story at that time was about eight years old. But then it segued as I moved through the years, that writing let me segue into actually communicating with my authors. Before I was 100% sure what was going on, I started writing to um, a part of me that's called Little Lisa. And in my head, Little Lisa was just the same as everybody has, right? Everybody's got that little kid in them. I think we've all got little kid aspects, no matter what's happened to us. And so I didn't know anything about DID. I just knew I had this little scared part of me. So I named her Little Lisa. And um, Little Lisa and I started writing back and forth to each other. It was part of the beginning of my writing and healing with DID. Writing to an inner child or, you know, what may turn out to be um, an altar, you know, depending on, you know, your um, situation and just writing in general, um, when you can connect with that little child inside you and write to him or her and start to see things from their perspective. You know, when I started embracing um, inner child work, <clears throat> it was really, uh, it was difficult, but it was also kind of interesting for me because I was like, I mean, I always kind of felt as myself as being kind of a kid at heart, so to speak, you know, I enjoy doing some silly things even when I get older and I like, you know, doing, doing things that maybe, you know, um, a kid would still like to do because it's just something that I found fun. And when I realized that that's actually connecting with my inner child or that, you know, that's part of doing that, it opened up some more ideas for me on how to write. And once I started really embracing that, you know, this whole inner child type thing, or, you know, if you have DID, having some smaller, um, you know, childlike altars that, that you can really connect to. It really just gives you such an appreciation and such an in-depth awareness of where, you know, that, that little child voice is coming from based on past trauma or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so um, did you find it, 
like difficult at first to 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 embrace little Lisa or was it something that kind of came naturally or well so here's the thing I started out probably I probably had many more parts of me many more authors at the time but I had little Lisa and the personality I called bitch from hell and so still did not think I had DID I just thought you know I got this part of my personality that's going to shred you if you make me mad and this part that's really vulnerable and then whatever the heck I am so um, I didn't like either of the, the bitch from hell or little Lisa, cause I didn't like the vulnerable. I didn't want them to need so much. And then the other one I didn't see as a protective factor. I just saw as someone, you know, that part of me that kept other folks away or, uh, I didn't see it as a fierce warrior, which is what I've come to see. And that's not her name by the way, but, um, that's what I called her when I first started chatting. So I think actually Rob, that my counselor that I had in Kentucky, helped me start identifying with these two parts of me, although he had no idea DID. So yes, at first I like just hated those parts. I wanted them not to be a part of me. I wanted them to go away. I wanted to be quote unquote normal. And so the beginning was really rough. And part of it, what let it settle in actually was me starting to feel empathy for little Lisa and just telling her, okay, I get it. There's some story going on here that you're afraid of and that you think I'll be afraid of. So I'm big now and I'll take care of it. So you tell me the story and I'll take care of you. And so that kind of began the unraveling, if you will, of um, my, my memories. I started remembering different folks who were perpetrators and it just went through levels. As you might know with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, a lot of times you'll recover or recovering memories, you'll recover them when you feel safe. And then when I got through one level of them and started figuring out how to take care of myself a little better, then wham, you know, a next level came. I didn't know that was going to happen because, you know, I don't know what I would have done. But there began that conversation where I was writing to little Lisa. I didn't actually write to quote unquote bitch from hell at the time. <laughs> that came later. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think when you can develop empathy and, and compassion for, for that little voice inside you, you know, and again, whether it's just inner child work or whether it's, you know, um, an altar from DID, whatever the case may be, when you can develop that, that, that compassion and relate to that little voice and understand where it's coming from and make that little voice know that they are safe now and that you'll take care of them and that you acknowledge, you know, what they're trying to tell you, that's just so important. I mean, I'm a firm believer in 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 connecting with our inner parts and inner inner child work really is a means of understanding what that voice is trying to tell us because you know it is definitely trying to tell us something and you know it may be something super important um it may just be something that it thinks we need to know and of course you don't know that until you start to work through it but i just i love that you were able to use writing to connect with with little lisa and the bitch from hell and the other parts and really just you know, kind of understand more about yourself and where you're coming from. And I know there's so many listeners here that, you know, um, give feedback on the podcast who live with DID and I've had similar circumstances and ones that even have totally different ones. It's just the awareness and the knowledge that you aren't alone always just makes, you know, just is such a big part of healing. So I'm glad that we're talking about this today. And I want to transition a little bit into storytelling. So so now, you know, um, so we've got the diagnosis, we've been discussing some challenges, we learned how the writing kind of unfolded, and, and you learned more about the diagnosis with DID. So how does storytelling fit into your healing journey? Well, I think there's a couple things. So uh, storytelling for me, 
it starts with just the simple just sharing, right? And so sometimes like you were talking about, it's the inner work of sharing the stories even with yourself so you understand what's going on. And then at a more clinical level, if you will, with your counselors. But then I think part of what really helped me and is interesting because it draws so many connections when I do it, at first I started uh, doing it through poetry. So I had poetry that I would read. It's very Southern, it sounds very Southern, I'm from Kentucky. And so there's this there's movement to the words. And so afterwards, people tended to come up to me and talk to me, whether they connected with my story just as a story or they connected with it because it was part of their life. And then since then, I've learned all these really cool things because we go through this learning process, um, either with a diagnosis or just life, right? So I learned, started learning about the happy chemicals in the brain and all that cool stuff. I was very excited that there was such a thing, and I might be able to get some more of those. So found out storytelling actually increases that, um, those neurochemicals in your brain that like you to be happy. And it also does this really nice thing that I didn't know about till recently where it starts when you're telling a story and somebody's listening, it starts to create this connection in, in your brain, um, in your neurons. Your neurons, so if I'm telling a story and somebody's listening, they're working really hard to place it in context. And so when they do that, these different parts of their brain start to fire off, like, okay, how does that relate to emotions, these different things? And then they start to empathize and start to have this lived experience with you, although they didn't have the experience necessarily, some might have. And then it just becomes part of their narrative as well. And so I think what's nice is that there's this beautiful component where people start to take on and understand other people's narratives. So I've used storytelling not only for myself, so I write my stuff, I read it out loud to people, I connect with people that way, but I also started a nonprofit called Women's Mountain Passages, and I work with women who survive violence. And we use that process to do healing with those women. I'm, I'm also a firm believer in, in sharing your story, obviously, as you mentioned, with yourself you know, telling yourself, you know, that it's okay and, and, and working through the trauma and writing out your story and journaling and writing poetry and reading poetry and connecting with that calm, inner understanding person inside you, um, you know, who just really wants to, to, to embrace how far you've come and, and what it means to be a survivor of any kind of trauma and really just, and then when you can share your story, you know, uh, to other people, whether you're telling it, whether it's a blog post or a podcast or whatever means, you're right. You do connect with that person and, and with that audience. And you also re reaffirm in your own mind, you know, as you mentioned about creating new neuropathways and new connections. And that's one of the amazing things about healing from trauma is that we know there's hope because when you are traumatized, your brain is damaged. And, you know, while it takes a long time to work through it, there is definitely hope of repairing and recreating new uh, pathways and new ways of thought and new ways of dealing with things in a more healthy way rather than the negative way that we probably, you know, have probably been doing for such a long time. So um, I learned about storytelling when I was working with a therapist and also more about my coach. And I really kind of, I embrace that totally in my writing and doing these podcasts because it is so incredibly healing. You know, there's, there's so many things that you can do on your own behalf to work through trauma and to work through the uh, symptoms of PTSD and writing um, and is just one of the ways that, you know, you and I both have in common, but, you know, so many things, music therapy, art therapy, animal therapy, whatever it is for you, how, however you can get your story out to help yourself and to help others. I am absolutely all for it. So 
Well, you know, I think one of the things about it that's so cool is that uh, it let me find all these parts of me. And so I'm going to get a little more specific about my DID. I have, uh, I don't even know what it's called now. I think they changed the name. So bless the hearts of the world who are listening to the story. But when I was diagnosed a long time ago, 20-something years ago, it was DID nonspecific. So, and there's a lot of rules for that. And I've looked them up and read all the science because I wanted to know what was going on in my little brain. So at first, it's, it, the funny thing is I didn't dismiss the diagnosis. I liked it. And it also didn't change my life significantly, except for the aha. You're like, oh, maybe that's what's going on. And so that was nice. But the writing also let me connect with all these alters. So um, different people have different philosophies about DID and whether you need to blend or not blend or, or whatever. So specifically with me, I've always been co-conscious. So I, I don't know what it's like. To lose time or space. I've read a lot about it. I've read other people's memoirs and novels and stories, but I don't know what it's like because I'm always there. So if one of my alters, so um, I have a lot of kid alters. I've got little Lisa and Alyssa and Chrissy, and I've got one named Six, like the number six, because I guess that's when she was born. Um, and they're, they've got these amazing qualities to them that I lost for a long time in my life. And it's because they were terrified, as they should have been. Uh, because of our experiences, uh, we, I experienced, they experienced, we experienced ritual abuse when I was growing up. So they took it and they held it and they let me live, you know, the rest of my life. And then when it was time, they were like, okay, we need to come back into play here because we really want to come out. We want to play and have fun and we want to know what the rest of life is like. So as I started writing these stories and they turned into, you know, memoir or chapters or things that I was trying to get published, I, I got to find more of my voice, and not just in writing. So it's in the world and in writing, but I got to find them. And that was an amazing discovery. So like you said at first, no way, no how. I just did not want that pain. I didn't want the hurt. I didn't want the need. There seemed like a lot of need. I wasn't ready for it. And then um, it turns out, though, in letting that in, that you get a chance to discover all those other lost components, especially with these kids. Now, I've got other alters in there. They do their thing, too. That's where uh, Bitch from Hell came from. But that's not her name. She has a name. Her name is, uh, she told me later, um, her name is Alyssa. Um, and then she was just the beginning. But what it was interesting to watch my alters morph. And they're just like one tweak off the other. Or they just captured one moment in time. So I have three other altars, actually, that captured most of the ritual stuff. And they're, believe it or not, D, D, and Disciple. So D is D, period, D, E, E, and then Disciple. And so although they were pretty horrific at first for me to understand and let in, and I was working really there, when I did, when those altars came in the forefront, I was destructive, not with other people, with myself. I was angry. I was, you know, all kinds of stuff. It was interesting to start understanding as I wrote out what they were telling me because they were telling me stories. So I'd type it and I'd type it and I'd listen and I'd ask questions and we'd have a dialogue back and forth and I'd tell more of their story. And as they started to fill me in on stuff, I got that appreciation of them as a protector and as a warrior and as a, a kid. They just didn't know it. All these, I, they think they're adult authors. I still think they do. So I haven't told them yet. But they're actually, they're not adults. They're, uh, 
they're teenagers and younger, but they came off with this persona of being adults because they were being trained, you know, in this ritual abuse stuff. So they took on the persona of the men who were running it. So the storytelling, though, to get back to that, just them sharing with me and then me writing it down and then um, working towards you know, different things that I could publish gave me a lot of space to start understanding. And in understanding them, because I would call them them, they were outside, you know, they weren't me, I started to understand me and get the aha about how we all connected and created Lisa. I love it. It's just so fascinating. I'm just, I'm just taking all this in as you're sharing and I'm just nodding my head and thinking this, this has to be so validating for so many that are listening right now. And something that you said too, kind of struck me as well was when I first was diagnosed with dissociation, like I didn't even know what that even was. Like I, I didn't know it was a thing. And so I started doing some research and I, well, and I'm thinking, well, there's DID and then there's, um, dissociative amnesia and all these different types. And I'm like, well, I have a little bit of this and kind of sort of that, but not all of this and not all of that. So I'm like, so where do I fit in? And it was kind of stressful for a while, but then I found the diagnosis, which, which has also since changed in the DSM, but um, it was a uh, DDNOS, which is dissociative yeah. disorder, not otherwise specified. And I was like, that's me. <laughs> I'm like, I yeah. got that because it's kind of, it's an all encompassing it gave me kind of some, like, I guess some, some confidence to say, well, you know, I'm not completely broken to the point where I don't fit in yet again, but now I know at least I have something that I can call it. And then that's what really kind of fueled my, my passion for research on um, all types of dissociative disorders. And so I love this topic. and I just think it's really neat how, how, you know, you shared that because I was just nodding my head and agreeing. And then when you shared about the uh, ritual abuse and how certain parts took on that persona and held it, you know, so you could live your life until it was time to deal with it. It's just, it's beyond fascinating. And I'm so glad that those um, other parts inside of you were able to hold on to that until you were ready to deal with it. Well, yeah. Um, and sometimes I'll talk about it and I'll say out loud, especially for people who have no idea what the idea is. I'll say something like, well, I hope you're not listening. because, uh, Or I'll look up like I'm talking into my head and say, all right, so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And people just kind of look at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and it's not, I mean, it's kind of like a, at this point, I do, I can tell when I have an altar standing in the forefront, but they're not as strong. They're not independent so much anymore. We're really become more and more a part of each other. When my counselor, um, Frank in North Carolina, talked to me about integration. I had, there was a free-for-all. Uh, there was a big old war that happened. They're like, no way, no how. We're not doing that. We don't want to go away. And I agreed. I said, no way. And he wasn't necessarily advocating it. He was just explaining to me, you know, one aspect. Here's one aspect of how this happens. But you also brought up uh, DID, not otherwise specified. Yeah, I think, I mean, that would make a fascinating story, and maybe you've already written is how much those diagnoses changes over the years as people do more and more research. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I like catching up with it, but it's funny because if we walked around with our labels, I mean, we would never, we would all have DID. We would never know who we are because, you know, I would walk around saying, oh, I'm borderline personality disorder. Oh, no, really, I'm PTSD. Oh, no, I think I'm DID NOS. No, really complex <laughs> PTSD. No, I don't know. I'm just whatever right? I am. 
<laughs> and, I, and I think that's kind of a fascinating thing. I think the cool thing, like bringing it back to storytelling. So when I worked with the women, I started Women's Mountain Packages because I wanted women to be able to heal from whatever violence they'd experienced, whatever trauma. And I wanted to, to, them to own it, to move back into that place of strength for them. And so their stories were their stories. I mean, they were who they were. They told them. We typed them up word for word, and then we created a performance piece called A Cry for Hope. And we ended up using, and some, some of those stories are amazing, not because they're stories you would at first say, oh, I, I just want to hear this really abusive history that this poor person experienced, but because the way they told the stories when they told them, because they just spoke them and we typed them, they were amazing writers. So they were doing this oral history just out loud, off the cuff, I'm typing it up, and then when I go back just to clean up my typos, I am stunned at the writing, if you will, that just came out of the women telling the story. So I think that's another part of it. You just, you just are, right? When you're doing storytelling, you are whoever you talk about, whoever you make yourself. I could not agree more. And it's, it's equally fascinating as well when you talk about it like that, because I can just hear the passion and you're like, and yeah, when you, when you tell your story, you're like, you are that experience, you are living it with that person. If you're listening to someone and just, it gives you such a connection and such an appreciation and all, and oftentimes a new enlightenment about your own self and your own journey. So I just, I think it's incredible. And I want to be sure that we give the information on how people can learn more about your nonprofit. But before that, Tell us a little bit more about your memoir and how that got started and, and what it's actually all about. Oh, okay, great. Um, I feel like I, I got to go find my pitch. I had to write a pitch for graduate <laughs> school two years ago. I still don't know what it says because I was like, this is, I don't get it. Um, <laughs> the, the memoir, um, until a publisher changes its name because it's not published yet, is called uh, Shadows of Me. And it, it really started a long, long time ago. There was this place, I was talking about the multiple levels of, you know, just uncovering trauma within me. So my first level was a friend's father had sexually abused me. And then I uh, realized, it, and this is one of those weird things about memory. I had this long period where I thought my grandfather was a perpetrator and now it's up in the air. I have no idea because I can't tell what my authors are trying to tell me anymore about that story. And then um, the ritual abuse, which has stayed pretty firm. But when I started writing a story about my grandfather, um, it's actually, this was the name of the story. And so I wrote it from beginning to end, like when I recovered a memory about him, took it back to childhood, brought it forward to where I was. And it just, it wasn't enough. I was still in the, really what would be the early stages, who knew? Because um, I didn't know I'd be doing a constant recovery, which I'm, I'm still doing, which is not a bad thing. It just means that I'm constantly learning new things. But when I wrote that story, I thought that was it, right? Um, and then as I started continuing to go through therapy, continuing to go through things, I realized that, wow, this is really just, you know, the, a nutshell of it. I need to start backwards and look more at that child. So the little Lisa, at the time, I thought it was just little Lisa. So the little Lisa, what, what was going on there? And so really the memoir is about this discovery of, all my authors, all the other parts of me, how I used uh, nature and all the different ways of recovery and healing. And then um, it really start, stops at the end after I moved to California, which was almost 20 years ago, and started running this nonprofit. So the memoir goes through that part of 
what we talked a little bit earlier. So you discover all these altars and then you discover all these missing pieces of yourself and it gives you you back. And so that's where it ends. It ends with me going, oh yeah, these are, these are amazing things. You know, my little Lisa, my Lisa, all these parts that I've recovered, that is what I am. And so that's how the memoir ends. I love it. Um, do you have a, a potential date as to when it might get published? Well, I'm going to try to get me a publisher this summer. Um, there's two chapters I'm still trying to rewrite, but stories are hard. So when I wrote this memoir, it really sent me back into the world of everything happening. So there are a couple of chapters that are just like, I had to stop when I had to stop. And so there's mm-hmm. two I'm going to rewrite, and then I'm going to look for a publisher this summer. Let's all cross our fingers. And then, you know, I've been told it's like a year from then. So publisher june i'll say june of next year excellent excellent whenever you get it published i would love to bring you back on the show and we can talk about it and the experience of of you know um writing those last two chapters and you brought up something really key um as we start to wrap this up and that is when you're writing about your trauma and and you start to get taken back to those days that time period that can be triggering and that can you know bring back a lot of of memories and a lot of feelings and it's okay to stop and take a break and be like you know what this is too intense right now or there's a new memory or something's going on that I need to work through so I'm going to pause and I'm going to you know um embrace this for what it is and be kind to myself so for anybody who's writing whether it's a blog post or you're writing a book or an article when you connect back with those memories that maybe you haven't really touched a whole lot in quite a while because you've been to therapy or, you know, you've worked with a coach or you've done a lot of writing and you're like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a good place now, but when you go back and connect with that, it can be a little bit rough. So I just want to encourage everybody um, to do exactly what you're doing. And that is to go back, to analyze it, to take a break and to be kind to yourself as you write. So awesome. I think yeah. that's a great point. I, yeah, I grabbed my, I went back to a counselor, worked with him full time because I wrote half of the memoir in four months. And so my counselor got to talk to a lot of my authors and I got more of my story, but I did it in, together in tangent so that I could work through it. Excellent. That's awesome. I love it. Having that kind of support, having somebody, you know, you know, to read your, your story and to get an idea of talking with your alters. I think it's amazing. And I personally can't wait to read the book. So I definitely want to connect with you um, next year once it's published, hopefully, and we can talk more about it. But before we wrap up, let's make sure that we tell everybody how they can connect with you and learn more about this nonprofit that you have and um, anything else that you'd like to share. Um, sure, it's complicated right now. Women's Mountain Passages has changed to Mountain Passages. I had been out of town for 10 years, and I'm bringing it back. The easiest way to get a hold of me, actually, is probably just to email me. You can look up Women's Mountain Passages. A lot of it is saved. But um, you can email me at Lisa Toby, L-I-S-A-T-O-B-E, dot consulting at gmail.com. I, what we're going to do when we pull it back together, actually, is we're going to focus more on, uh, we're going to, it was focused here in Quincy, California, rural, rural, sorry, I can't, all of a sudden I can't talk. It's a rural area, area in uh, Sierra Nevadas. And it, this, the nonprofit, uh, as we bring it back to life, is going to actually focus nationally. Excellent. That's exciting. I love it. And I'm glad that you were able to bring it back 
and kind of get a fresh start with it. And um, I'll be sure and put links to your website, to the email and everything that we talked about in the show notes and in the blog post. So thanks, Lisa. This has been incredible. I can't wait to do it again. And I look forward to hearing more about your book and more about your story and staying in touch with you. Thanks. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional medical help or mental health counseling. If you've ever considered working with a certified coach, or if you simply have questions about how working with a coach can benefit you, just head on over to beyondyourpast.com for more information and to schedule your free introductory session. We'll work together to figure out what's holding you back so that you can realize your full potential and discover the authentic you. Remember, you are worth it. Achieving your goals and waking up each day knowing that you can handle what's coming and thrive is something that everyone deserves. So take that first step and contact me today and let's do this. Talk to you soon.